this is a funny thing around this resentment is I uh, I never loan money. I'll give gifts. Huh. If somebody asks for money, uh, they never have to pay. Well, hey, you guys have to pay yeah. me back. But yeah. I just I just say, don't worry about it. Look, that's it. Because if someone owes you money and they can't pay you back, you lost a friend. Because they'll start avoiding you. Oh, interesting. So if like I lend you 50 bucks. Right. And you, every time we meet, you forget it. Now you start resenting me. Yeah. Because you feel bad. Yeah. And you don't want to point the finger at yourself for right. neglecting to bring the money. Yeah. You want to point the finger at me for like uh, some somehow always asking for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah I'm yeah. somehow, Setting I'm the bully. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Or I set you up to fail. Right. And, but if I just give it to you, then uh, you don't owe me anything. Yeah, it's true. And then hopefully they pay you back anyway when they can. Yeah. But they're not, they don't feel obligated to. And so they don't feel like they have to have bad feeling. They don't have bad feelings towards you. You write it off as a sunken cost. Yeah. And that's the only way uh, to keep your friend. Yeah. Speaking of uh, sunken costs or not sunken costs. Sunken places. Sunken places. Happy places. Gifts. Tis the season. Am I right, Gabe? Mm-hmm. Tis the seasons. We got Kwanzaa. We got Hanukkah. We got Christmas. Solstice. What else we got? Um, some non-denominational stuff. Whatever. And I apologize in advance to all the people I've left out and all the rituals and traditions that I just am not aware of. But we're but you're valuable, and we 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 are, accept you unconditionally. We love you. A great gift to yourself because remember you got to practice self care. You got to love yourself before you love other people. You know what? It's not even. I'm offering you a chance. I'm not asking you <laughs> for a favor. She's making you an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> you cannot refuse if you want to sleep at night. Um, but really, for just $5 a month, you get extra extra credit in, in the book of, uh, in the home, in the, the school that is life. Uh, but you get bonus episodes. You get extra extended episodes. Uh, sometimes people really like hearing the extended episodes. Sometimes people really like bonus. I never know what's going to get more people. It's interesting. Sometimes they want a different thing. Sometimes they want more of the same person. Here's what I know. Tell me. This is what I know, that this show is uh, independent um, journalism mm -hmm. that uh, is not paid for by Vladimir Putin mm -mm. or by Rupert Murdoch. Mm -mm. Uh, we're also not a CIA, like, PSYOP exactly. program. This is just us with a, with a recorder, two microphones in an apartment yeah. talking about the world. Yes. And that's the type of independent media that is uh, dying right yeah. now. And if you want to, uh, we would appreciate your support to keep doing the thing that we're doing. Yes. So we don't resent you. <laughs> we want, you know, just give us some money. Don't lend it to us. Just give it to us. But we will be working it off through the product that is the Katie Helper Show. That's right. Yeah. We're here. We want to offer. We want to keep doing this. Yeah. We want to keep putting out content into the world and uh, making it a broader, uh, more informed place. Yes. And, uh, you know, to do that, it's so easy. You just go to patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. And, uh, by the way, we should, in true, full confession, full disclosure, we, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but we may be under investigation because uh, Jill Stein is being investigated by a Senate committee for her connections to Russia and uh, giving Trump the election, which is kind of hilarious. Robert Mueller can hit me up anytime he wants. Yeah, you know, come on uh, the show. I met Jill Stein uh, we had at her on one the of show. our live shows. Yeah. Charming woman. Very charming, yeah. Uh, and uh, just a... I love all third-party candidates. I got to say that now. We're in a democracy, and I can't get enough of, um, you know, breaking out of this duopoly. Mm -hmm. I anybody who's trying to do that gets my respect. So mad respect. It's just so absurd because she was like seen with at at some dinner in 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 Russia, and because they say that she helped give the election to Trump, but of course, as we all know, like he won, he didn't even win the electoral. I mean, he only won the electoral college. Like, it's kind of hard to sway that. Like, they knew they were going to be, like, targeting these states and those states. And, like, Florida, Trump didn't lose by the margin of third-party voters, so you can't even say that. So I think the Senate should be investigating Florida, all Floridians. 
Well, why doesn't the Senate just investigate the DNC uh, and all the money that uh, just disappeared and didn't make it to any of the local offices? Good point. Yeah. Republicans passed this atrocious tax scam bill that's just awful. The Republican-controlled Congress has approved a massive rewrite of the U.S. tax code that will overwhelmingly benefit corporations and the wealthiest Americans, while ending a central pillar of President Obama's signature health care law. The tax bill cleared the Senate early Wednesday, then House lawmakers approved it 224 to 201. Experts estimate Trump himself will personally benefit from a tax cut of up to $15 million a year. It's been uh, an amazing experience, I have to tell you. Hasn't been done in 34 years, but actually really hasn't been done because we broke every record. It's the largest, I always say the most massive, but it's the largest tax cut in the history of our country. Really something special. Democratic lawmakers have slammed the measure, which experts say will benefit big corporations, multimillionaires, private equity managers, and President Trump and his family, while hurting the elderly, low-income families, immigrants, people buying health insurance, and the island of Puerto Rico. Oh, my God. The Republicans are so—I mean, Democrats are really annoying, and uh, they can be transparent, but Republicans are so bad about this. Bob Corker— basically shifted his switched his position on the issue of this tax bill um, mysteriously right after they they like slipped something into it that would benefit uh, real estate owners so they were like a, a free ski dues for anyone affiliated with Bob Corker and his family yeah and segways free segues you know <laughs> low package Corker a commercial real estate investor who's among the Senate's wealthiest members switched his position on the tax bill and announced his support for the final legislation after it was amended to include a provision expanding tax cuts for real estate related LLC's congressional Democrats have questioned whether Corker switched his vote in exchange for the provision a change Corker has denied he was the only Republican to vote against the original Senate version of the bill which included restrictions on tax, ben tax benefits for real estate related LLC's I mean, there's no reason to think that he changed his vote only after a uh, provision was slipped in that would benefit him financially. So when there's an autopsy of this tax bill, is it just going to look like a, uh, gifts to every senator's business friends? Yeah, and, and senators themselves. Yes. That's what's nice about this thing is that it's so obvious, it's so direct. This is actually a guy who himself will be benefiting from it in a very direct way. Well, we've just reached this uh, like this place in politics where it, uh, it seems okay for the people in power to benefit financially in the most craven way mm. from the policies that they enact. Right. And this is on both sides of the fence. Uh, you know, when we're, we were looking at the Democratic Party in the election as well, I mean, one thing that I found suspect was the, the Clinton Foundation. Mm -hmm. And it, it made it really hard for me to think that— um, you know, Hillary was uh, uh, going to fight for the common man when she was in charge of a $17 million foundation. Uh, or when you look at um, the money that's gone missing in the DNC. Or And, and I'm not just going to attack the Democrats with this, but like right. the idea that uh, billionaires care about us, uh, be it like in New York City with um, – with uh, Bloomberg when he was in office as the mayor. Like, wh I don't understand why we look at uh, wealthy people as... Our saviors. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff Bezos is not going to save you, man. Yeah. Elon Musk is not... He's not going to put any of us on the trailer parks that he's trying to build on Mars. You though, know? Though that they sound very uncomfortable. There are, no, there are no seats on the X shuttles. Right. Not for us. For anybody here. But I like, d don't worry, Gabe, it's cool because um, your mind should be put at ease by the fact that Orrin Hatch, the senator from Utah, also Republican. Can't believe this man is still alive. I know. What's he doing? Yeah. Is he getting the same blood transfusions? As, uh, <laughs> yeah, as that, like every other evil person who lives long, like Pinochet and David Rockefeller. What's yeah, the deal? I just imagine that it, all of his internal organs uh, have been harvested from people that uh, filled out the uh, organ donor cards. Yeah, he has very soft, glowing skin, I have to admit. He must put some, some something on there. You remember? Did you ever see the commercials for pearl cream when you were growing up? Growing up? Doesn't actress Nancy Kwan look wonderful? That's because she's bathing with soap made with real pearls. And you can, too. Genuine, precious pearls are pulverized, 
to make this incredible skin treatment. It was a product that you put on your skin and the woman said, have you ever wondered why so many oriental women have so few wrinkles? It's because we've been using pearl cream. For centuries, our secret has been a magical facial cream that actually smooths away almost all signs of lines and wrinkles. It's called oriental pearl cream. Just made me think of uh, Orrin Hatch's uh, organs. Glowing skin, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's great because, like, actually Bob Corker's excuse was he didn't even know it was in there because he didn't, hadn't read the bill. Okay, if you're in elementary school and you're supposed to read a book for homework and you show up the next day and you're like, I didn't read it, like, you get get an F. Right, exactly. These guys are allowed to vote on policies that are going to affect hundreds of millions of people. They can just look at the camera and say, I didn't, I I have no idea what I'm voting on. Yeah. And we're okay with that. There was this guy, I don't know if you saw this, but someone that Trump had nominated to be a judge, the federal judge. It was so painful. This Republican went after him. He didn't know very basic things about the law. Have any of you not tried a case to verdict in a courtroom, Mr. Pitch? Have you ever tried a jury trial? I have not. Civil? No. Criminal? No. Bench? No. State or federal court? I have not. Have you ever tried taking a, a deposition by yourself? Uh, I believe no. Uh, have you ever argued a motion in state court? I have not. Have you ever argued a motion in federal court? No. When's the last time you read the federal rules of civil procedure? In my current position, I obviously don't need to stay as, um, um, you know, uh, invested in those on a day-to-day basis. When's the last time you read the federal rules of evidence? All the way through would um, would have been in, in law school. Well, as a trial judge, you're obviously going to have witnesses. Yes. Can you tell me what the uh, Dobert standard is? Uh, Senator Kennedy, I, I don't have that uh, readily at, uh, at my disposal, uh, but I would be happy to take a, a closer look at that. Do you know what a motion in limine is? Uh, yes, I haven't. Um, I'm, I'm, again, my uh, background is not uh, in litigation. At, um, I haven't had to, um, again, do a deep dive. And I, under, and I, and I understand, and, and I appreciate this, this line of questioning. I understand uh, the challenge that would be ahead of me if I were fortunate enough to become a district court judge. I understand that, um, that the path that many successful district court judges have taken has been a different one than I have taken. Just for the record, do you know what a motion in limine is? I would probably not be able to give you a good definition okay. right here at the, ta- at the uh, okay. table. Do you know what the uh, younger abstention doctrine is? Uh, I, I've heard of it, but I, again. That, How about the Pullman abstention doctrine? I, I heard You're going to see, you'll all see that a lot in, in federal court. It was actually, it was so bad, it made me kind of feel bad for him. Like, I almost was like, <laughs> poor, poor nominee to, to ruin the world through the judicial branch. He withdrew, and Trump accepted his offer to withdraw. But he also, this was totally aside, he had this really, like, un, unprofessional-looking, like, light beard. Like, I can't explain it. It was, like, almost like stubble. It wasn't a full beard. It wasn't just, like, stubble. It was in between. And it looked kind of like... I don't know. Like, most politicians don't have beards, first of all. No, because you don't trust people with beards. The last guy who had a beard, I thought, was, like, Ulysses S. Grant. Yeah, probably, yeah. I mean, uh, presidents. Right, (laughs) right, right. Um, But he was. it was not just a beard. It was, like, a scrawny beard. It was just very weird. Again, really not that important. No, uh, I think you're just shaming. You're beard shaming shaming right now. It's true, yeah. Yeah, it's true. I'm okay with, uh, you know, women and their body hair. Yeah, and no, I think I'm you okay should be with okay beards. You're right. Maybe with I'm being men wearing beards. <laughs> wearing beards, removable <laughs> beards, beard toupees. It just it was a weird thing. I can't explain it. Face and I know merkins. I'm being <laughs> face merkins. Oh my god. I know someone. You know some. That's a uh, that's a last name. Merkin. Isn't that unfortunate? And there's even like a place called Merkin Hall or something. Yeah. Like really, you're gonna. Put that's your where name we on made things? them. Yeah, exactly. You're re- you're gonna uh, put your name on things and not switch your last name. From yeah. That? Come on. Yeah, uh, but his name is Matt. Here, let me show you him, Gabe. I just, I obviously viewers can't see this, but y- you'll you'll know what I mean when you see this. I think it's just a. We'll post a we'll post a, a yeah. space in the show notes. Like private nice eye, salesman. Just you know, yeah. sh- shave it up, man. Shave it up. I mean, I think maybe he is. 
kind of has like a weak chin and big ears, so maybe he feels <laughs> self-conscious about it. I don't usually talk about people's... Gabe, I mean, this is my thing to talk about people's looks. Not, It's not good praxis. So. But if you know you're going to be on TV, there's yeah. a couple things you, you can do. You can yeah. shave. You can go to your crunch gym. Mm-hmm. If you got the $50 a month um, membership, you can right. use the tanning booth. Yeah. Right? And then you go. There's probably a congressional barber shop that's mm-hmm. uh, underneath uh, Rayburn Hall. Right. Next to the Capitol. And you, you get yourself a shape up. And, uh, and then you also you have one of your interns quiz you. On, totally, yeah. on what you're going to be grilled on yeah, so you that know, you can prepare. Exactly. You know some very basic legal statutes and practices. It, it was really embarrassing. Yeah, and, come on, man. Yeah. Watch two or three episodes of Matlock before you talk I to know, these people. Matlock, exactly. In fact, so the guy who grilled him was a Republican named uh, Senator John Kennedy. He said after the interview, just because you've seen my cousin Vinny doesn't qualify you to be a federal judge. Uh, referring to the Kennedy told local station WWL to be referring to the 1992 comedy film about a novice lawyer. Topical zingers. Yeah, seriously. Like 20 year old topical <laughs> zingers, yeah. Is it possible to two youths. Uh, uh, to what? What? Did you say youths? Yeah, two youths. What is a ute? Oh, excuse me, Your Honor. Two youths. Classics. A callback. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. You can hear the Katie Helper Show every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on WBAI. That's WBAI.org, 99.5 FM. You can also hear us on SoundCloud and iTunes where you can rate and review us. And we sure do hope you do that. I'm Katie Halper, and I'm joined every week by my co-host, Gabe Pacheco. On today's episode, we speak to investigative journalist Alex Koch about the tax plan and why the only Republican senator to vote against it changed his vote. Spoiler alert, it may have something to do with the fact that a provision benefiting real estate investors was inserted into the bill. And we talked to Adam Johnson, journalist and host of the podcast Citations Needed, about Deficit Hawks, Marco Rubio, the worst media personalities of the week, the worst person in the world, and Wyatt Koch, the entrepreneurial sartorial son of Bill Koch, the lesser known Koch brother. So welcome to the Katie Helper Show. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. This is from a piece that you wrote with David Sirota and Josh Keefe, and it's called Republican Senators Will Save Millions with Special Real Estate Tax Break. Tell us what's happening. So what we've been doing at International Business Times, our investigative team, is looking into a lot of the various kind of kickbacks that some of the senators and, and representatives uh, who voted for the bill uh, from the Republican Party are, are going to be getting from this tax uh, bill directly. So one thing that my colleagues Josh Keefe and David Sirota broke last Friday night uh, was that there's a special provision that got inserted into the bill during the conference committee. So this is after the House passed its own bill, the Senate passed its own bill. Members of of both chambers uh, got together for a couple days and deliberated on the final bill that they would then vote for again, which they just just, uh, approved yesterday. Um, So in this conference committee, um, a special provision was inserted by Orrin Hatch, senator from Utah, uh, which benefits uh, investors in real estate partnerships. In other words, people who own property or that that can charge rental uh, income and things like that um, through LLCs, LPs, S-Corps. These are pass-through entities. So the money goes directly from the, the, the rent income or whatever kind of income they're getting from the property um, to the investor, and that investor is able to deduct now about 20% of that income from their in individual tax income taxes. Um, so what we found was, you know, that bill was was put in kind of secretly uh, during the conference committee, and there are a lot of rep- a lot of senators, especially and representatives, um, in the Republican Party who who own a lot of real estate that would be eligible for this tax break. So um, top among them is, is Senator Bob Corker, uh, who uh, is a you know former kind of real estate uh, executive. He uh, owns uh, tens of millions of dollars worth of real estate. 
Um, he himself is estimated to be worth $69 million uh, overall. That was as of 2015 by the uh, by, by OpenSecrets.org. Uh, and um, he, so last year in 2016, in his financial disclosure, he disclosed uh, taking in about $7 million in income that uh, under the new bill now would, would be subject to the tax break. So 20% of that he get to deduct from his taxes. Now, when I say $7 million, that's the top possible range. You don't have to actually say exactly how much you made. So that's, that's, a, that's the maximum potential uh, money that he earned last year that would be uh, eligible for this break. So this guy's worth how much do you say he's worth? Sixty nine. Uh, six, yeah, yeah, sixty nine million. Nice. So I don't understand. Like, d- does he not have enough money to pay rent? Like, what's what's going on? What what on earth is the the thing that motivates him to need more? Basically, vote to deprive Americans of basic needs. Yeah, Bill's going to hurt a lot of people who are lower income, even middle income. I don't know what's inside Bob Corker's head. I don't know why he flipped his vote for the bill. But I mean, the facts are essentially he was the one Republican in the Senate who voted against his party's own tax bill, the only person. And then it goes to the conference committee. Uh, You know, it's changed a little bit. This, This special provision is added in. And then he announces after that that he supports the bill. So this is just a chronology of events. It's not, right. you know, we don't know, we sure. don't know what motive. Sure, sure, sure. But the fact is, you know, Bob Corker is, is a seasoned uh, real estate investor, and he's going to see a, a nice, nice large tax cut from this. Um, so, you know, whether or not he, he, he intended that, that, whether or not that swayed his vote, he denies it. Uh, I don't know. But like, the, you know, the fact is, he's going to benefit. Donald Trump is going to benefit even more. I mean, Trump is obviously a real estate uh, titan. He has over 500 companies to his name. Many of them are passed through. Most of them are passed through entities. So he's going to reap enormous benefits from the bill. No, I, I know you, you can't say the motives, but uh, for sure. But it's just incredible to me. Like, how much more money do these people need? I don't understand if if it is if if that was the thing that persuaded him. And it's kind of hard to to explain what else would ex- uh, have have changed his mind. So you're saying he had, he was the only Republican who said he would not vote for this, but then he did vote for it. Yeah, he actually voted. He voted against it in the Senate. So the the Senate bill, the Senate version, he was the only Republican who voted against it. Then when it came back to the Senate as a as a full bill after the conference committee, he voted for it. The House voted for it twice, actually. Uh, and, and, and it's 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 going to be law. Um, so, you know, Corker, uh, I mean, look, a lot of these politicians are very wealthy. It's often hard to even enter politics if you're not wealthy right. or you don't have access to money. You don't have wealthy friends and connections because the cost of races is so high and we don't have very adequate campaign finance reform in place that would allow people who don't have the means that other people do, as many of their opponents do, to enter the races. So that's why uh, systems like public financing are so important for democratizing uh, our legislatures, our Congress, our executive branch even, um, that, you know, that give people a boost that some people don't need, but they do. Um, so what, right. what, what, what public financing does is it, 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 it's been shown to diversify, uh, both in terms of race and gender and income level, the uh, people who are representing the rest of America. Um, and so what we have now is we have the sort of, the, so the average net worth of, of, of a congressperson is over a million dollars. And um, many of them are, are decimillionaires, centimillionaires. Um, you know, you've got Greg Gianforte, the, the famous uh, new, newest member, uh, one of the newest members of, of a Republican caucus in the House from Montana. He won the special election after assaulting a reporter. Um, right. he, he is actually now the new richest person in Congress. I think he's worth around $400 million. Daryl Issa in California, who um, is actually facing a very tough re-election uh, battle, it's, it sounds, is worth, I think, something about $250 million. So you got people like that who are helping write and, and, and who are passing these bills that are shifting you know, the tax benefits way, way up to the top and actually um, netting some of the lowest income people a, a tax increase by 2027. Um, it, it, it strikes me as, as uh, curious that those are the people who might know the best interests of, of average Americans. Right. Yeah, they're really they really have their finger on the pulse of average Americans. Of course, Daryl Issa, we shouldn't forget, is a former car thief and then also helped uh, create the Viper carjacking appliance. Viper arm. Protected by Viper. Stand back. (gasps) Viper. 
no one dares come close. So I don't know if you know about that, but he did. I didn't hear about that, but you know, yes. I mean, that's that's not uncommon to have sort of a, a shady past. I mean, Bob Corker himself, uh, apparently uh, one of his real estate companies is under investigation by the FBI, I believe. Mm. So um, there, you know, uh, or maybe it's a former company of his, but you know, there, there there's a lot of corruption going on uh, within and, and without the Congress. Right. What kind of research did you do? You So your colleagues broke the story. Um, right. How did they come across it? And then what is the research that you did? What's your right. contribution to this? So, so what happened, and we were reporting on, on general special tax breaks like, like the real estate pass-through tax break, not this, not this tiny provision, but the, the general idea that you can, you can deduct from your taxes through a pass-through entity. Also in terms of, of master limited partnerships, which are um, geared towards uh, fossil fuel, oil, mainly oil and gas, and you know, natural gas investors, they're going to get a tax break too. Um, so we, we've, we've been looking into this a lot and looking at the financial disclosure documents that um, members of Congress are required to disclose once a year. So we were looking at the 2016 documents, the most recent ones that are available uh, at this, you know, on the a page of the Senate website, and going through that and just seeing who, you know, who owns what assets and who's going to benefit. Um, and then the tax bill came out Friday night uh, about 6 o'clock or 5.30, and we were looking through it. Um, I had to run, but, but David Sirota and Josh Keefe, discovered a uh, this this small provision they called some tax experts they discovered that it was a new provision and there and, and then you know lo and behold the one Republican senator who had voted against the bill um, was the largest owner of one of the largest owners of real estate properties in, in the whole Congress so that that was a that was just a, a very kind of obvious story once they found that out uh, and then right. what we did what we did on Saturday morning was we did a follow-up and we looked into this very issue and expanded it uh, to to members of Congress uh, in the House and the Senate and Trump. We looked at that too. Uh, and then what I did, again, we were looking at financial disclosure forms. Uh, and then what I did um, a few days later, which is, I believe, the story that you contacted me after, uh, was I found that over a dozen Republican senators alone, just the Senate, that's over a quarter of, of the Senate Republican caucus, um, are either, either own these properties uh, that are eligible for the break under the new law and received income last year um, or or own properties of undeveloped land and what this bill would do is it incentivizes them to build on that land to to, to develop uh, depreciable assets essentially so any asset that's depreciable that's on a property that is owned by an LLC um, can be eligible income from that asset can be eligible for the tax break now what what and I, let me just clarify I know it's just super dense but I want to just make sure I get this in because it's important um, the the special tax break what it what it does the the new part of that um, there was a version of it in the house but it was a larger kind of blanket provision what what and there was a version in the Senate as well but what this special thing that entered in the conference committee does is it allows this tax break to go to people who own LLCs that don't employ anyone so before the Senate version said you can get the break but it has to be through a pastor group that actually has employees that's creating jobs now what they did is they got rid of that requirement and they said you can any LLC is fine doesn't matter if you employ anyone or not so they're not even pretending that this is about like trickle down Right. It's like it's like you, I mean, you're you're not in, you're incentivized to to build on your properties to, you know, because you're going to get the break and you're not incentivized to hire anybody. Right. That's great. Maybe it's just I just like I like the way they just own it uh, in the Christmas spirit. No. Yeah. I think I mean, I think provision to provision. A lot of times they are admitting that it's a huge break for the rich people because, you know, Gary Khan is still saying you know trump's economic advisor is still talking about trickle-down economics after decades right. of trying it and, and it's never i mean any any economist will tell you it really doesn't happen that way gary khan was in a room <laughs> uh, a meeting of some kind a, a sort of business event with a lot of ceos and the the moderator asked asked the room you know they said he says raise your hand if you guys are going to take these tax benefits and and you know give it like hire more workers or or invest the money and, and about three hands were raised, and Gary Kahn was shocked. Uh, he was very upset by that. Uh, it's not not exactly a good look. And he talks about right. you know he talks about trickle down. So, um, wow. you know, it, I do think uh, on the on the micro level, the politicians are being honest about this. 
Um, on the macro level, they the sort of the line is that it's a middle class tax cut. It's a middle class tax cut. Right. Uh, when you look at the effects over time till 2027, it is a massive wealth shift up to the top one twenty percent, even the top one percent, even more the top zero point one percent. I mean, I was being facetious that they're being honest. I'm just pretending that they don't even. Pre- I mean, I'm 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 saying that they don't even pretend. They don't even try to hide it. They're obviously not wearing it on their sleeves. They're not going around telling Americans that they're doing this. But it's it's pretty incredible how right. how brazen it is. What's the cost for the all the people who are not getting this? Like the basically the rest of the American people. I mean, I, I haven't covered the whole bill, which is giant, and and you know, uh, there's a lot of different things. But, but you, it looks like you've already read more of it than yeah. most of the Republicans. Possibly, I mean, and Bob Corker himself uh, told my colleague Josh Keith that he hadn't read the bill. He read a two-page summary. And he didn't know about this special provision that was put in there and is going to help him out. Um, right. But yeah, it's like mean, saying that, like I couldn't even cheat uh, because I didn't even do the homework. Yeah. So. And look, you know, he may not have read it because it was 540 pages or something, and they rushed this process in a way that I don't think we've ever seen before. So, mm-hmm. you know, there, yeah, I think everyone was essentially voting on a bill they hadn't fully digested. They don't fully know what's going to happen. And apparently the House is going to have to, I mean, I think uh, Kevin Brady, it was, the, the, the House Ways and Means chairman, which wrote the House bill, said they're going to have to issue a few more bills to fix it because there was already some mistakes. Um, So, I mean, this is this is the result of, you know, a a party that had nothing to show after a whole year of 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 failed attempts to repeal Obamacare. So um, they wanted to pass something. They wanted Trump to be able to Trump wanted to to be able to say he had a a great piece of legislation that's historic. And it actually is historic um, in in its unpopularity. So (laughs) the, the gains are going to the very, very top. And over time, actually, some of the, the, the I think it's the lowest. 40% 40% approximately of, of, of workers, of taxpayers, are actually going to see a, a small increase in their taxes by 2027. So it's designed where in the next couple of years, some people might actually, of the middle incomes, maybe even lower incomes, might see a small bump for themselves. And then, in, in, the, in other words, a small tax break. And then over right. time, that's going to, so, so maybe for the 2020 elections, it, that might not hurt Republicans yet. But uh, over time, it's going right. to show that it's just going to further widen income inequality at a time when we're already enormously unequal as a society. Right. Um, and of course, I thought I thought all these people like Bob Corker were deficit hawks. But I guess some somehow he didn't he stopped caring about the deficit. Right. Well, that's 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 key. I mean, that's a that's a key factor in all this is that, you know, because of his alleged deficit hawkness, He's, he was the only senator to vote against the bill. He earlier told uh, someone who was interviewing him that he wouldn't vote for anything that would raise the deficit by a penny. And I'm going to play the clip. This is at the beginning of October, Meet the Press, when you spoke about this legislation and its impact on the deficit. If it looks like to me, Chuck, we're adding one penny to the deficit, I am not going to be for it. You know, $1.5 trillion is a heck of a lot of <laughs> yeah. pennies. You should investigate the number of pennies that is. Right, right. Uh, yeah. you know, people should be holding him to account for this. I mean, there's right. he hasn't. The, the thing is, Corker hasn't offered a real coherent excuse for why he voted for it. There's no explanation. He just said, and I watched him on CNN the other night. Um, what, and by the way, he's been maligning our coverage and calling us fake news. Um, oh, of course. I'm being maligned over totally malicious stuff that's totally been disproven. I know people are having a good time with this, uh, but it's just it's just malicious. Congratulations. Right. I mean, it's it, because and, and the, I think the reason he calls it fake news is, is also similar to Trump in that when you don't have a, a real kind of uh, explanation for your actions, you can't actually dispute our facts. You just kind of blank. You, call, you just call us fake. So, I mean, that, that's been the response not only of, 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 of uh, Corker, but of uh, John Cornyn to another prominent GOP senator who actually and this is in my article. Um, I wrote it in because it was so hilarious. He uh, he tweeted out in, in defense of Corker and, and his party about the special real estate break. He tweeted out an, a column by a Forbes a Forbes contributor, and it took me about three seconds to 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 look up look the guy up. He's a tax lobbyist for Wall Street, for the banks, um, and so and he and believe it or not, in in the lobbying disclosure, it actually says that not only has he been lobbying Congress on the tax bill in this quarter. Like right now, but he actually was lobbying on, on pass-through entities. So um, it, it's pretty remarkable that like John Cornyn's only defense was was someone who was clearly on the side of, of the banks that are going to benefit from this bill.
Right, because I guess the the guy, the fat cat character from Monopoly, wasn't available to vouch for him. <laughs> you couldn't get a statement in time. The, the people who are going to reap the benefits from this, this is from a piece that you wrote with Josh Ke- David Sirota and Josh Keefe, and um, right. you list the people who are going to reap the benefits from this, and you have Bob Corker, Steve Daines, Ron Johnson, Lamar Alexander, Rob Portman, uh, Jim Risch, Jim Inhofe, John Kennedy... Johnny Isaacson, Luther Strange, Rand Paul, John McCain, Orrin Hatch, John Hoven, Tim Scott. So right. yeah, uh, this is great, and and you and I definitely recommend this article. And you can see the actual minimum values, maximum values, minimum income, maximum income that they'll be getting from this. Well, so yeah, and that's and that's something I, I want to just make sure your listeners understand is the chart is based on the the financial disclosure from 2016. So what this tells you. Uh, in all these senators that, that you just listed is first of all the assets the real estate assets that they have in these pass-through companies um, they, they estimated the minimum and maximum value as of 2016 of these assets and then and then they also estimated the minimum and maximum income they got from these assets which now would be eligible for that 20 percent uh, tax deduction they'd be able to deduct 20 percent of that income from their taxes uh, next year because the uh, amazingly, the the bill's supposed to go into effect in about ten days, and that's that's uh, it's amazing to think that uh, the IRS would be able to handle such a shift in in literally a week and a half. But that's what's going to ha- have to happen. Is there anything that can be done to stop this? I mean, to do anything, throw any wrenches in it? I mean, that's a good question. Um, not that I know of. I mean, I, I think that. Maybe, you know, um, some of the most egregious aspects of it could be kind of highlighted by, you know, sort of Democrats, by, by think tanks, et cetera, the, by the media to sort of, so maybe, maybe some of them that could be undone. But, but you know, look, this is, this is Paul Ryan's kegside dream. I mean, yeah, he, he, he claims to have been dreaming about making these kinds of cuts since he was in college. Um, and he's, you know, he's really, that's, that seems to be his lifetime agenda. And, and what you're seeing is he's going to retire at the end of next year. I mean, he knows that, that this isn't popular with the, the greater uh, American public. And right. what, the, what they're saying just a day after, you know, just right after, maybe even the night after they passed it, they're saying, we're going to have to really take a hard look at our entitlements and, and, and really rope those in because, you know, the spending's getting out of control. Um, so, I mean, I think what I think this is just, you know, this is what has been speculated is that Paul Ryan is essentially setting himself up uh, for a year of doing really, really unpopular things like dismantling Medicare, Medicaid and Social Security because he doesn't have to run for reelection anymore. I think he's just going to eat it and he's going to do what he can and he's going to get out of there and, and get some cushy jobs somewhere because there are a lot of people who are going to owe him after that. A lot of the big Republican donors especially are thrilled with Ryan, I, I can only imagine. Right. They're going to owe him after that. And one thing that I'll say about about my, you know our research is that from doing this work, I mean, I'm pretty pretty darn sure that like we're going to see an enormous influx of people incorporating LLCs and LPs and S corps, these pass through entities that don't pay corporate income tax, and now we're going to get uh, they're going to give their investors enormous uh, tax deductions. Right. Well, perfect way to uh, ring in the the Christmas cheer. Uh, the Grin- they're the the Grinches. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. Well, and, yeah. I, and I do have to say, it's something that that really stands out. The chip, the child health insurance program, has not been renewed, and and we're talking about something that, uh, in terms of a 1.5 trillion dollar tax tax cut bill, is 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 just a rounding error. And um, this is incredibly important for 9 million, up to 9 million uh, children in America who live in low-income households. Um, they're not planning to address this, uh, this, this month. So uh, it remains to be seen if these children are going to get what they need to, 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 to survive. Okay, cool. Anything else you want to say? Um, no, I don't think so. I think, I think, I think we've, we've, we've covered a lot of bases, and yeah. um, I, 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 I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, of course, and thanks for reading these uh, these these documents. Were, are, did you? Is it satisfying? I mean, do you have these eureka moments? Well, yeah, you know, connecting the dots really is fun. I mean, that's that's because that that's what I like about investigative journalism is that you know a lot of times you cast a wide net and you don't know what you're going to find, but usually when you follow the money, there's something interesting, 
Um, right. and, and often a lot of this stuff is fairly predictable when, once you do it enough. I mean, you're, you, you say, okay, here's, here's something that the Congress is going to vote on. You know, who's going to benefit? Well, probably a lot of the people who are voting for it are going to benefit, and there you go. I mean, so right. um, I think it was, it was quite fortuitous. I mean, not, I, I, I think it's tragic for the country, but it was, it was pretty fortuitous that Bob Corker, the, the, the one person to vote against the bill, is the one who's going to benefit the most from the special little real estate break that they inserted at the last minute. Um, but those kinds of things, yeah, they happen occasionally. I, this was a huge break, and we were really lucky as a team. We got four writers um, at IBT who do investigative work together, and we were super lucky that you know the national media picks it up, and basically every major outlet has cited our work, uh, has linked to our articles, and uh, are, are, are you know a lot more criti- critical of Corker than uh, any of his colleagues are. Yeah, that's great. And what's the ratio of like of reading boring, dense stuff to eureka moments? Um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it kind of depends uh, what you consider boring and dense, and what what you consider eureka moments. But um, right. I don't know. I mean, I I've, I like data. I often do a lot of uh, looking through campaign finance reports. So I I really enjoy numbers. So that's just kind of like a a nerdy thing that I like to do. So um, even if it's just coming up with the total, like what I, I, I research a lot of, uh, a lot about the Koch foundations, the family foundations of Charles and David Koch. Um, and a lot of times I'll do pieces where I'll just kind of like, okay, here's the 2016 uh, tax return from the Charles Koch foundation. Let's see how much money he gave to higher education in 2016. And what I've been, I've been doing this for several years. And so every year it goes up and up and up. And uh, the, I just put out an article a couple weeks ago at IBT um, I, th- uh, I honestly, I don't remember the number, but I, I think it's something around 50 million that the Charles Koch Foundation gave to higher education programs in fr- mostly in free market economics in 2016. Oh, That's about a 30 or 40 percent increase from the la- year before, which again was about a, th- a one third increase from the year before. So the donations are really ramping up, and, and they're they're basically arming. Um, uh, uh, they're trying to to create like a young army of. Of, of libertarian thinking economic uh, academics that or people they can recruit for their political networks um, so that's right. that's that's a big one of my big beats but I mean this is just to say like I, I like to just whether it's it's one crazy connection or, or it's more of a larger data project I think this stuff is it's rewarding for me but it's I, I hope it's making a bit of an impact yeah well I, yeah I think what's great about this story is it's such a clear narrative you know it's like you did right. the work I mean people investigative journalists like you look at these numbers and then the, the takeaway for people who don't really have time to think about that stuff or look definitely don't have time to look through it is they just get to see this like you know connect the dot story where look at this one guy who gets a major benefit is now changing his vote um right and the democrats should really play this up because it's a great that's yeah yeah they they should and 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 some of them have been i mean chris van hollen senator chris van hollen yeah oh uh, yeah uh as 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 talked about um what we brought up the corker kickback hashtag so to speak something that that we've been criticized over and over again on twitter and by corker and people is that we're partisan that we're hacks etc i mean that's absurd david sirota you know has been at ibt for four years we i mean over the years we've we've uh, exposed corruption of uh dan malloy of the governor of connecticut of, of hillary clinton of Many right, pro- Democrats, yeah. Many prominent Dem- Terry McAuliffe, I believe, in Virginia. Before I, I got to IBT, they were they had a scandal of his. So, you know, we are completely nonpartisan. If if people are corrupt, we're going to find out and we're going to make it public. Great. Well, keep doing what you do. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. Of course, yeah. I'm going to interview uh, Adam Johnson next about the kind of deficit hawk bullshit, and of course, the Coke Sons video. It's amazing. We are really excited to talk, be talking to Adam Johnson, who is a journalist, the host of the very popular podcast, Citations Needed, uh, which was started after the Katie Halper Show. I believe it was his appearance on the Katie Halper Show that opened his eyes to the possibility of podcast magic. And Adam uh, writes for places like FAIR, the LA Times, Al Jazeera, Alternate, and he is a fierce media critic. Uh, he's also a uh, fierce anti-deficit hawk warrior. So Adam has been uh, tweeting quite a bit about the hypocrisy of people claiming to care about the deficit, especially on how this uh, plays out in the discourse around the tax scam. You, you seem to find the, um, the tax plan morally reprehensible. 
for some odd reason. Can you talk to us about the way it uses and abuses the uh, deficit hawk narrative? Basically, what it is is that for the last five years, last seven years, a lot of liberal and centrist media took the idea of deficit concerns seriously. Um, with people like Martha Raddatz, Jake Tapper, name name your sort of straight reporter for the Washington Post, um, Time Magazine even had a cover story with Paul Ryan where they referenced where they talked about his um, his affinity for deficits and making sure that the debt doesn't get out of control. Here's the Washington Post in 2011. One urgent concern for lawmakers in both parties is the country's bleak fiscal outlook stemming from heavy government spending and ballooning retirement costs. Here's the Time Magazine profile in 2011. Through a combination of hard work, good timing, and possibly suicidal guts, the, the Wisconsin Republican manages to harness the party to a, to a dramatic plan for dealing with the, America's rapidly growing public debt. Um, you see this time and time again around that time. Same thing with the Tea Party. The Tea Party was credul credulously constantly talked about in fiscal terms, fiscal discipline, fiscal conservatism, really worried about debts constantly, constantly, constantly. This is what we heard about in 2009, 2010, 2011, right? Um, People like Jake Tapper played into this narrative. Jake Tapper, when he was at that point the ABC White House correspondent, would, would sort of would scold Obama press secretary about. He, he even said, "Is it right? Is it is it is it right to run up uh, run up the national debt?" Um, he did a whole segment comparing it, you know, using the, the 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 cliche about how the national debt is like a home budget that needs to be cut. Big, scary, literally red numbers, fifteen billion dollars. So all that concern over over debts. Post-recession in 2008, or I guess during the recession, when Obama was doing his stimulus package, that's all gone now. No, nobody cares, gives a shit. So 30 out of the 30 founding members of the Tea Party Caucus in 2011 who are still in Congress all voted for this bill, which according to the CBO and even some right-wing and conservative economists will, will add a $1 trillion to $1.5 trillion to the, to, the, uh, to the national deficit. And who knows how much debt in the long term. And the reality is, of course, that these numbers don't mean anything. These concepts don't mean anything. They're, they're propaganda terms meant to rationalize cutting programs for black people and poor people and to transfer uh, to cut taxes to the wealthy. That's all they've ever really been about. Um, the entire, that, the, the entire reg, uh, ideological regime of debts and deficits has always been a scam. The fact that the, 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 the tax plan is a, tra is a transfer to the, of wealth from the poor to the rich and from the um, quote-unquote, extremely poor to the quote-unquote middle class, even a little bit slightly, although not really when you, when you include all the uh, programs they're cutting. Um, that's a, not a very original point, so it's not one I necessarily need to stress, but I, I do think from a media perspective, I think all, all those people who trafficked in the, in the idea of, of um, deficits as some sort of useful concept really should be called out. One of the reasons is that, again, we've done this before. During the, during the early Bush years, there was this idea of the fiscal conservative and the, and the fiscal hawk. These were things that were routinely thrown around by the Washington Post and the New York Times as, as actual, again, useful sort of ontological concepts. Um, and then of Bush, of course, because of wars of choice and, Medi and the cynical campaign tactic, Medicare Part D, um, and the war, the, uh, the, obviously the, the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, and also massive tax cuts the, the totality of which we still can't even really calculate um, 15 years out, uh, they, he grew the national debt by $5 trillion. Um, Obama, of course, kept most of the Bush's tax cuts for a long time, so that obviously added to it as well. But um, And then suddenly, so what, they, so what the Republicans found themselves in, they found themselves the second that a you know nominally liberal black guy was in office, that they suddenly had to go back to acting like deficit hawks but you couldn't really pull that off because they had just, including, by the way, Paul Ryan, who voted for TARP. He voted for um, the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. He voted for Medicare Part D. This is, by the way, the fiscal hawk right here, um, who's and he voted for the tax cuts, all of which increased the, the entire the, the national debt by um, roughly five four point nine trillion dollars, depending who you ask. Um, that they that they had done this sort of trick where they where they where they needed to go back to being able to pull this off with some degree of credibility, and so what they did is, um, in concert with some of the remnants of the Ron Paul movement in two thousand eight, which were I guess you could say somewhat organic, um, to the extent those things can be, they they the 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 coke the sort of coke astroturf Tea Party emerged um, with the help of Sean Hannity, Fox News, and the usual suspects, 
um, Freedom Works, the usual the usual groups, and then they rebranded themselves as no, no. This time we're actually the Republican Party is actually opposed to deficits, and that they they the the party of Bush had somehow got away from its its origin. Right, this was the talking point, and it's one that outlets like the New York Times sort of largely accepted. Um, there's one I think there's one sort of uh, uniquely telling headline from 2010 where it says um, uh, Kate Zernicki uh, said, Tea Party avoids divisive social issues. And the lead is, for decades, faith and family have been the center of conservative movement, but the Tea Party infuses conservatism with new energy. Its leaders deliberately avoid discussions of issues like gay marriage and abortion. So this is the New York Times um, accepting unironically that the Tea Party was actually about fiscal discipline um, and not social issues. And of course, they were about not, they were, absolutely about social issues and absolutely not about any concept of fiscal discipline unless one considers cutting off services to poor and black people, which of course is the only real de debt and deficit issues they actually care about. Um, and of course, the, the major thing that the Tea Party caucus did, the Tea Party movement did when they came in in 2010, the first thing they did was in, on a state level was go after abortion. Uh, this was the beginning of the wave of the anti-abortion laws. Um, and the second thing they did was they they um, supported, uh, they almost to the person supported, with some exceptions, they supported an increase in military budget and increase in militarism. So um, people, liberals routinely in liberal media and centrist media routinely keeps accepting the premise of deficits and debts, debts as something that's a sort of good faith conceit, when of course it's not. They've been trying this again with, uh, with Social Security for decades. There's this idea that somehow children are going to inherit some crippling debt that they're going to have to pay off later, but that's not really how debt works. Um, and even if it was how it works, because again, I think you know maybe someone could be like a principled person who's concerned with debt, regardless of who's in party. Fair enough. Well, sort of. Rand Paul, not really, but Ron Paul maybe on a good day. But even then, um, my the issue is fundamentally one of just inconsistency, which is that like the vast majority of of, of people who do toe this line um, from the Tea Party wave to Paul Ryan, they're just completely full of shit. So like, why are we even indulging in the first place? Um, you see, you, you see this asymmetry also with uh, what we've talked about before with defense spending, where defense spending um, this year increased by 11%, about $80 billion. Uh, that's the equivalent of about um, roughly five NASA's. Um, and it just happened without much fanfare. It just increased and no one really said anything. No one really cared. No one wrote any oppositions to it. The New York Times, Washington Post editorials didn't mention anything. Um, you know, the, the, the roughly twice the GDP of, of Poland uh, increased, increased and no one sort of cared. So that indicates to me that deficits and debt, again, are not something that people actually care about. They're just arbitrary marketing tools that are used to um, prevent government spending on women's issues, uh, black people and poor people, because that's really what they want to do. They want to, they want to, they want to cut government programs to people who are not their constituency and people whom they want to make, um, poor and easy to manage and more docile at work. That's always been the point of the whole thing. Um, so yeah, it just, it's the fact that we still treat this like an actual thing. And so I'm, what I'm saying is that like, can we, can we go back in time and talk about all the people like the Jake Tappers? and the Martha Raddatz and all these people who acted like the debt was something that was real and ask them to apologize, frankly. I mean, and it's more of a rhetorical device. I know we're not actually going to do that. But um, I think it's it's, use, it's useful to sort of say, okay, well, let's not make this mistake again. Because in seven years, when we have a Democratic president, or five, four years, when we have a, uh, three years, when we have a Democratic president, they're going to do the exact same scam. They're going to call it the, you know, because Tea Party was just John Birch, right? Fred C. Koch started the John Birch Society in the 50s. And his sons... Uh, David and Charles Koch started the Tea Party, and then whatever fail son they have, whether it's the guy who makes his own shirts or whoever, they're, they're going to fund some other fucking um, bogus, you know, astroturf right wing group and call it something else, um, and get a bunch of drooling fucking idiots to go out with a bunch of signs that say taxed enough already, um, and the media is going to treat it like some sort of, you know, natural wellspring. Um, the reality is that historically right wing protest movements are almost never organic by definition. Um, and so they keep falling for this trick. And my guess is they'll fall for it in the future if we don't have, if we don't actually go back to the 2010, 2011 period and talk, and talk about how so many mainstream media outlets. And by the way, 
including the Obama administration, who really who really accepted most of the axioms on the how we talk about debt and deficit. Um, I think they thought it was politically prudent to do so. Um, I also think that they had a lot of right wingers in their um, administration fiscally who thought that it was worth um, who thought that it was worth uh, a pretense worth maintaining. So we need to go back and like say, okay, well, who you know. Who was so concerned with them and where are they now? You know, Jake Tapper has not talked about the tax bill in terms of deficit and debt. debt. Um, yeah, you, you can ask for apologies. We do that on the Katie Halper Show. There's no shame in that game. Jake Tapper. All right, so we have um, David Vondrell and David Nakamura and other writers around that time who, who sort of took this Paul Ryan mythology and ran with it. And I think it's, it's, it's useful to go back to these writers and say, okay, um, what did you get wrong? It's not just about like scolding people. It's about holding people to account so we don't do this again. Because um, it's going to happen Making again. It a Republicans teachable are... moment, turning into a teachable moment. You mean? Well, you know, there's there's a lot to be said for having some shame. Yeah. And a and shameable like, moment. You know, one of the one of the easiest ways to man, to 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 have a career in journalism is to do the center deficit scold routine. It's the Charles Lane again, the Jake Tapper. It's like the very concerned capital S. Capital C, very concerned. Capital V, capital S, very serious person who's very concerned and very serious. And very serious and very concerned people really, really worry about debts and deficits. Unlike those wacky progressives who don't understand real economics. So right. the very, the, the, the very serious capital a, capital V, capital S, very serious people who um, who ran, who again who ran with this bullshit for two, three years. When in retrospect, now we know for sure that we needed more stimulus. We needed more government spending, not less. That's one of the reasons that it took so long to get out of it and also why wages were so stagnant. Um, to say, okay, well, why the fuck did you take these highly in, in highly loaded and deeply ideological concepts like, again, the, the ticking time bomb scenario that the government's just going to fucking wake up one day and explode? If only. And the real mania, the real mania peaked during the quote-unquote government shutdown in 2013, in fall of 2013, which, of course, wasn't a government shutdown. Um, it was a le- liberal government shutdown. Uh, no one actually, of course, per usual, touched the military, touched the Department of Defense. And to the extent they even wanted to touch the Defense Department, they wanted to actually shut down the VA services and um, privatize. Same with Charles Lane. Charles Lane is the world is the is the obligate is the most extreme of the very serious pre deficit scolds. Uh, he writes for the Washington Post. He's been phoning in a col- the same column in for ten years. He basically made his his uh, his name off the the Stephen Glass episode when he was editor of TNR back in the nineties, but. Oh, the guy who was plagiarizing. Yeah, but he was his editor who right. caught him. But he, he, so his whole thing was he, um, was was how he, the only time he's ever actually the only time he even mentions defense budget spending, if you ever follow this guy, is when he talks about the pensions of military personnel and how they need to be privatized. No mention of the F thirty five, the one trillion dollar program. No mention of of the eighty billion dollar increase. Complete complete silence because again, it's not really about debts and deficit. It's about how what programs help wealthy weapons contractors and the rich and the national security state and banks and which help the poor and people of color. So um, this is this is a sort of I think the last week has really put the final nail in the coffin of this facade. I mean I, I don't even think any reasonable more moral person can possibly even argue that these are real concerns. Um, Paul Ryan was asked about uh, the deficit, how this bill would affect the deficit, and he said, "quote People don't know." Which is another way of saying he doesn't give a shit because he never did give a shit. So look, it's a it's a bank robbery. This happens late at night. Um, the bill is obviously very unpopular. They don't care um, because that's not really the, the point. The point is not to be popular. The point is to is to steal money from the poor and give it to the rich, which is what they're doing because that's what they're paid to do. It's the entire animating ethos of the Republican Party. Um, that and controlling women's sexual faculties. Um, so yeah, this is this is you know what it is. It's a, it's a it's a smash and grab operation. It's going to be devastating to, to the most vulnerable among us. To say nothing, the fact that they've already signaled they're going, they're going to go after Social Security and Medicare, uh, Medicaid. So, you know, they're just getting started, man. And I'm, but the, the whole moral pretense. Maybe it's, this is what Trump really represents: a kind of complete loss of shame. There's not even an attempt to kind of appease the New York Times crowd anymore. It's just pure. It's pure brazen robbery. And some Democrats are thinking, oh, we're gonna, this is going to help us in 2018. There's going to be backlash. And I wouldn't be so sure of that. 
Um, people, you know, they can rebrand themselves by that time, just like they did with the Tea Party. They, they can, they, they'll, they'll manage, they'll find a way to blame Democrats. So, I, you know, there's a, there's also a huge current of like smugness that I think is really bad um, about how this, you know, how the Democrats can only sort of go uphill from here. But, you know, they said the same thing last, uh, you know, th they said the same thing two years ago. Right. Jonathan uh, uh, said when, that Trump would be a good nominee. Right. Uh, Clinton, Clinton actively worked to make him the nominee. She, they did a Pied Piper strategy. Right. But they, but so like this idea that somehow this, that we should, I mean, when they passed the, geez, when they passed the first repeal of the ACA, they sang a song in celebration at the, on the House floor, or was it the Senate floor? I don't remember which one. Oh, the Democrats did? Yeah. But I'm, th I'm sitting here thinking you guys are just completely out of your fucking minds. Like you can't assume that somehow because it, you know, you and the, and, and your blue checkmark friends think something is manifestly vulgar. That somehow the rest of the country is going to see it that way. I wouldn't. You can't count on that. You have to provide an alternative vision of the world. Which brings us to how they do that. But just before we get into that, you know, how do we save the world thing and foment revolution? Well, forget revolution. Just fucking win some house seats for God's sake. Baby steps. They do. I mean, they do need to be popular to the extent that they need to be reelected, right? But um, they're pitching this. They're just pretending that it's helping. Uh, average Americans. So how does the media, I mean, what is the, how could the media take advantage of this? The media that actually cares about um, exposing hypocrisy and dishonesty? Um, generally speaking, I feel like the argument that the Republicans are corrupt um, and hypocritical and venal is a very, is a very, to me, and this is just my kind of marketing intuition. I have no empirical evidence for this, but to me, it seems like a pretty uh, uh, underwhelming response. Right. I think I think the, I think the tone of class war and they're stealing money is good. Um, I think it needs to be harsher. I think Keith Ellison struck the right note. Uh, Keith Ellison uses the term "working people" and "working class," um, as opposed to Kristen Gilderand and Ted Lieu, who constantly talk about middle, middle class, class families. Right. You know who else does that besides Keith Ellison? What you? Well, I do. Bernard. Bernard. Yeah, thank you. Same for same same Bernard. Same person. I thought you were saying. So they constantly they constantly use this sort of bloodless language about middle class families, right? Sure, families is this right. really dumb like '90s era rhetorical yeah, tick. Yeah, hardworking middle class. Yeah, hardworking middle class families, and it shows you that they've they've learned nothing. Um, their 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 message is not based in in class conflict. Democrats pathologically want to promote a, a vision of the world where there's victims but never any victimizers, Ooh. where like people are suffering but there's not it's not really clear who's responsible other than sort of the Republicans, right? But to say to say that to say it's the Republicans is not good enough. You have to talk about the rich, and who their who their paymasters are, and they'll sort of say occasionally, oh, you know, that they're 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 big donors or something. But um, again, you, there needs to be a clear division of good and bad, and and who's who's right and who's wrong. I think some have the right tone. Um, I think that there needs to be um, an establishment of of the stakes in terms of what's being lost, and counter it with a bold vision of like what they're going to replace it with. That when we usher in, in 2018 and 20, that we're gonna be, we're gonna bring you universal health care. We're gonna build you a more robust social social safety net. Get, make people excited. It's not enough to say we're not the evil Republicans. Right. And I, and I know this at this point it's a trite point to make, but like all all they're doing right now is talking about all oh, the evil Republicans and they're hypocrites and like that stuff's fine and you want to mention that, but like what are you replacing it with? What are you doing for me? It's not enough to just say we're gonna we're gonna bring it back to where it was before. That's not, that's not really exciting. That's not really inspiring. Two steps forward, two steps back, as Paula Abdul said. It's got to be, what's your, what's your bold moral vision to counter the Republicans? Um, and I would, you know, I think that's what they need to do. That's what they need to be spending the next. Right, but that would require that they actually embrace things that are bold, right? And then part of the reason they're probably not talking about it is because they're not doing it for. I think people, I think people who are concerned with winning, actually winning elections, will. I mean, that's the irony, right? It's not just about. I think there's this this idea that like, well, now I mean, the the, the conventional wisdom, right, which is that you have to stay in the center to win elections. Hopefully, has been blown out of the water. But Democrats seem almost like pathologically talented at uh, not not learning the takeaways. I, but in terms of what, what I was saying was that I agree with you. I mean, there needs to be a forward, like a forward-looking, um, proactive, not reactive message and, and programs and policies. But I just mean it's so – they should be taking – I mean, people – look at how much they vilified Obama as an individual. Yeah, Bob Corker is just a senator, but it's such a – it's like a free, free present. It's like – 
you know, Christmas early, early Kwanzaa, early Hanukkah, or whatever. I don't think it. I don't think it ultimately will matter much, because who the fuck is Bob Corker? I don't know the fuck Bob. I don't know Bob Corker. I mean, I know who he is, but people don't know who Bob Corker is. He's another fucking faceless white guy. Who's, I mean, I mean, the messaging is a middle class tax break because they get like you know fifteen bucks and a six pack of Heineken, and that's supposed to be the big, the big coup. And that that'll probably resonate with most of their Republican base. But I definitely, I definitely wouldn't look at this as some sort of like again, I, victory because they can only go downhill. We've we've been here before, and I, you know, they they, they keep there keeps there's there's a continually a new a new bottom. So who are the worst offenders? Like if you want, let's give the let's start a tradition, the Adam Johnson uh, Award for worst uh, media offenders around the deficit. Who are the worst enablers of this of this bill? Well, infamously, the New York Times referred to Mark Rubio as a champion of the working class, which I, I've been doing media criticism for three years now. And I, I got to say that like pound for pound, that was the worst sentence I've ever read. To hear the rest of this interview, as well as our discussion about Wyatt Coke, LAS, large adult son of Bill Coke, please become Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Thanks so much for being patient, bearing with us as we get through our backlog of episodes. Speaking of which, we're looking for help. We need a sound editor. You want to edit? Want to help us produce the Katie Helper Show? Please contact us on our Facebook page. Or you can just tweet. Use the hashtag Katie Help Show. That's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S-H-O-W to make sure that we see your tweet. Also, if you want to become Patreon supporters at the $13 level for two months, we will give you a mug, a Katie Helper Show mug, which you can own or you can give as a holiday present. I guess a delayed holiday present, let's be real, because um, you got to do it for two months. Or uh, you could PayPal us $26, or you can Venmo it to us, and we will expedite that and send you the mug. This is just to cover costs of making the mug and also mailing it to you. And, you know, not to be self-sabotaging, but you can always join at the $13 level, then lower it to the $5 level. But if you join at the $13 level, and of course to do that, go to patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Some episodes you can look forward to include our interview with Erica Garner, the daughter of Eric Garner, who was killed by the NYPD. And there's some really horrible news, which is that Erica Garner is now in the hospital. She apparently had a heart attack, according to her Twitter account, which has been taken over by a colleague. So we are going to play an interview we did with her about her father and about what is happening with his case. And we, of course, will not be charging anyone to listen to the Erica Garner interview. And our thoughts go out to Erica Garner and the Garner family. And we really are hoping that she has a speedy recovery. This family has already gone through so much, obviously. We also will bring you a free bonus episode with Rachel King, the wife of Addie Barkin. He was on a flight with Jeff Flake. He was returning from actually protesting in Washington, D.C. He is an organizer and activist who himself has ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. He confronted Jeff Flake about the Republican tax plan and how that would harm him and his family, since he will, in all likelihood, require a ventilator. And of course, Jeff Flake, lo and behold, voted for the Republican tax plan. And this is a man who's retiring, so this will be his legacy. Congrats, Jeff Flake. We also bring you interviews with Jim Zogby and Nomi Kantz. The Katie Halper Show is produced by Florence Burrow Adams with help from Joshua Bregman. Our theme song is by The Ballet.